On today's episode of Brody and the Beard, Kelly and I are able to sit down with former Rocket and current Vice President of Analytics with the Miami Heat, Shane Battier. If the offense is triangular, it's something like a prism. Put you on that lockdown defense like a prison. Hakeem was the dream. The MVPs must be his children. They won 22 games in a row. That's a rhythm. Triple-double rust, man. I need you to acknowledge he don't do this for the optics, man. He do this for the Rockets. Opponents want the smoke. They in his pockets. Don't you get him started? He a monster. He a lockness. Ah. And James Harden, that's the beer gang. Every time he dribble, his opponent's feeling fear, man. It's Brody and the beard, don't be a victim. The legends in the flesh to the show you are a witness. Seek and you shall find all the answers to your questions. Tune in, he gon' tell the truth, you like confessions. Gather round, come and hear the word, just like a Christian. I'm urging you to listen, it's the Kelly ecosystem. Welcome to a new episode, folks, of Brody and the Beard. I'm your host, Mo DeKeel, and with me, as always, is Kelly Eco. He's our beat writer on the ground for the Houston Rockets. Kelly, how you doing? Doing good, man. Getting through the days. Yeah, and, and I'm going to be honest. I, I really wanted to cut your intro short because I'm too excited about it. Yeah, I, I know. I know. <laughs> like, I, I, I almost didn't want to ask how you're doing. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we're joined today by uh, uh, former Rocket Shane Battier. Shane, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Rolling, man. Rolling. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good way to put it, rolling. So without further ado, let's, let's get right into it. Shane, um, you're one of the modern pioneers for the 3 and D archetype that we see in the league today. But how much of that, you know, coming up in your career made you to become a specialist in those two areas? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. My career, uh, the, the arc it took, um, when I played for the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, my rookie year, I had my, my career high scoring 14 points. I ran pick and roll. I posted. I did a little bit of everything. Um, with the regime, regime change there, Hubie Brown came in, and he ran an offense where the small forward, the three-man, literally just sat in the corner and kept spacing and crashed the boards. Oh, and wow. so like, <laughs> I never got to run. I never ran pick and roll. I never got any post-ups. And so literally I said to myself, look, if I, if I want to play, I better play my tail off on defense and I better make shots. And I just got a ton of three point shots in the corner and that was my shot. And that was, I never shot one corner three pointer in college, not one. And that was a total transformation um, that I had to learn. If I want to play, I better make that shot. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of funny how the regime change comes and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you're from an all around guy too. Uh, No, just go stand in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I'm not mad. Like I love, I love Hubie. You know, I love him. He's like a great, he's like a grandpa to me. But that was that was the deal. If I want to play, I better make that. You know, defense is always something I always took pride in. Uh, but you know, I never considered myself like a three and D guy. And so when that 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 term got coined many years later, I, I had to laugh. That like, look, that was not a conscious decision by me. That was just me trying to pay the bills here. Yeah. Did Did you ever feel pigeonholed by that that label kind of getting put on you? No, not really. Look, it, it was all about how do I stay on the floor, right? And how how do I create value for my team? How do I how do I win? And so, would I have liked to to run some more pick and roll? Yeah, that's the fun part. What would I like to create for my teammates? Yeah, of, of course. But uh, look, when you're a basketball player on a team, it's almost like being in a movie. You have a you have a role to play, and if you want to be featured in the next one, 
you better play roll, roll right. And that was my, right. uh, my entire mindset. It's a great way to, to go about it. And especially at a, uh, so young in your career to kind of make that switch. One thing I do want to kind of talk to you about and, and, and what I really find fascinating is you were kind of one of the first players to really embrace analytics, you know, and, and there's a great piece about you in the Wall Street Journal and, and all of that stuff about your kind of desire into that. Where did that come from? Like, how did you get into analytics and using it to help you on the court? Well, I was lucky to play for, for Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkey, who taught me just how to look at the data. And, you know, the way they explained it, and at the time, you know, I was, I was going to Vegas in the summer, and they're like, you play blackjack, right? I'm like, yeah. And so they said, analytics is like blackjack, all right? You know, when you, when you get a uh, – when, when the dealer has a five showing, what do you do? You always double, double down. Why? Because the book tells you that it's the, the best play at the time and it gives you the most chance to, 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 to win the hand and win money. Well, analytics has a lot of the same uh, aspects of that. You know, when, when, you, when you make Kobe Bryant go to uh, his left hand, you know, he'll score 44% of the time. When he goes to his right hand, he's going to score 56% of the time. So you don't need to be a math genius to understand as a defender, <laughs> take right. Kobe to his left hand. And so like, like, I'm like, yeah, this makes total sense. And so basketball is a series of trade-offs and percentages that, that if you do things that are good for you more, you have success. If you do things that are bad for you more, guess what? You don't have success. That's what analytics is at its most basic core. And, and so, you know, when they presented it to you that way, like it, it, it seems like you kind of just jumped right in going like, OK, this makes sense. I'm fully in. You know, it, it seems that there are some guys that are a bit slow or resistant to it. It's intimidating. It's mass. It's intimidating. Yeah. And so, look, I, look, I don't know anyone who graduates from college and says, oh, man, I'm, I'm at calculus. Man, could I take another stats class? So, <laughs> <laughs> math is intimidating. Um, but. I saw it's worthwhile if I invested the time to really learn how to to think about this. And it was something I had to work at. I mean, literally hours spent with, with Daryl and Sam going over scouting reports, going over tendencies, going over what the numbers mean. Um, but I really worked at it. And after a while, it became second nature. And I knew exactly what to look at. And it became, um, you know, pretty, pretty plain as day to me. Uh, but look, I, I, I was slow, unathletic. And so I needed every edge I could get. And so if I can understand a guy's tendencies and that would buy me, you know, two or three points a game, that was worth it. Shane, um, how hard is it to process that in real time on the floor? Like there's one thing, you know, studying before the game, looking at tendencies and stuff like that. But how hard is it to process in real time as the game's going on? While my feet were slow, my brain was fast. And so that was the one advantage I thought I had that I could think the game every play and i know that sounds kind of weird but you'd be shocked at how many guys just take off mentally from possession to possession from pass to pass and and i was able to think in real time what the best uh calculation what the best what the best outcome was for me um and so uh you know i, I don't know i didn't learn that from anybody 
it was just something that I always had in my game, just being able to be aware. Really, it really comes down to awareness. I had awareness of the situation at all times when I was on the floor. And you kind of alluded a little bit to the, the your matchups with Kobe, right? And and all of that. I mean, I I still have. I grew up a Laker fan, and and until I started working for the Clippers, was was all in on it. But I still have an image of. You know, Kobe taking a shot and your hand literally in his face and him smack dab in his face. <laughs> just thinking like, man, like there's no way Kobe could see the rim, uh, you know, and, and that type of stuff. So, you, you know, what are some of the battles like? Can you talk a little bit of just your battles with Kobe? I mean, you there's that great playoff series and, and, and just over and over again, constantly going going up against him. You know, um, I'm, I'm I'm still really sad by by Kobe's passing. Um, he was a guy that, for me, represented the ultimate challenge. And uh, to this day, he represented the most uh, difficult challenge, the, the most difficult problem that I ever tried to had 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 to solve. And I never spoke to Kobe one second outside the gym. And I always thought I'd, I'd have a chance to. To, to catch a beer with him and, and talk about our battles, but I never had that chance. And that's something I'll, I'll always regret. But, you know, what, what made Kobe great was he was never satisfied. And he would try to cut your heart out literally and embarrass you every single time you played. You know, from a competitive standpoint, there's no better competitor. And if he had 40, he wanted 50. If he had 50, he wanted 60. If he had 60, he wanted 70. And this was never satisfied. And I knew that if I had any chance of, of staying with this guy, I would have to be, play my best game. I had to be so mentally sharp. I couldn't make any mistakes. And even then, I still got torched. <laughs> but, but, he, but he was an amazing problem to, to try to solve, you know, through data. And the funny story about the hand in the face, and, and Kobe even in Mama Mentality says, that didn't work. You know, I had so much muscle memory. I saw right through it. And, uh, you know, the reason why I did that was, was not to, to make him miss. That wasn't my aim, which he thought it was. It was to try to get him to prove that that method didn't work. And by trying to prove that method didn't work, the only way he could do that is take his worst shot, the long dribble jumper. And so that's all I cared about. Whether he made it or missed the shot, I didn't care. But I knew he was doing the thing that was most beneficial for me and the most uh, harmful for his efficiency by taking that shot. And, and so that was the game within the game, within the game, within the game that Kobe and I played with each other. And like, it just was, it was the ultimate chess match. And, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now, but you know, he's the only guy ever to really, to, to, to bring me out at that level. And uh, like I said, I'm just, I'm just really, really sad. We'll never get a chance to, 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 to talk about that in person. Yeah, like, how, how intense was that, you know, 09 playoff series? Because it was, it was, that was quite a battle. Yeah, I mean, it, that was a, we, we gave the Lakers all they can handle. You know, here the little old Rockets. We're all <laughs> banged up. We don't have our two best players. Um, you know, I, I think everyone in the media and all the fans said, ah, this would be an easy one. Used to make it one at home. Uh, but we were a handful, man. And, and that Rockets team, man, we, we played hard. And we played together. And that, that was one of the, uh, the best experiences I had. That we just played for each other. And, um, you know, we, even though we, we knew we were outgunned, and, you know, good Lord, we had Chuck Hayes, 
trying to guard Bynum and Gasol, (laughs) you know, Scola down there, just, just fighting. And we gave them all they could handle. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, someone in the media kind of made a joke to Phil Jackson in the press conference. And and Phil Jackson said, these guys are good. Like Chuck Hayes is a good NBA player. Like he was picking up for Chuck. (laughs) uh, You know, obviously Kobe was, was a handful and, and, and they proved to be, a better team, obviously they're the champions, but we take a lot of pride in the fact that they're the they're we're the only team to push them to seven. And uh, you know, if we had a full a, a full uh, complement of health with with Yao, with Dikembe, with Tracy, you know, who knows? Who knows how that series would have gone? Yeah. Um. So so was there any kind of a belief after you know the game one, which you guys stole? There was there any belief that you know this could actually be a potential upset, or did you just think? Yeah, we took one off, but we got a whole showdown ahead. Yeah, no, you, if you're in the playoffs, you, you think you've got a chance, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's realistic or not. Like, <laughs> you you earned yourself, uh, you know, the right to be in the playoffs, you know. The, the Western Conference that year was an absolute buzzsaw. And, you know, we thought, hey, we're here. Like, we're not. You know, sisters of the uh, sisters of the poor here. Right. After that first game, you know, we showed, hey, if we play our game, we we got to play our best. We can't have a a B game, B game against these guys. But we played really, really well in that series, and fell just a little bit short. Yeah, and let's one thing I do kind of want to talk a little bit about with you, a little bit on the more fun side of it. What was it like to kind of just share a locker room with? Tracy McGrady with Yao Ming with Meta World Peace and and just kind of the 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 characters you have in the in the game all on a good side of stuff. But what were some of the fun moments you guys had in the locker room uh, that you can share? <laughs> yeah, no, we, you know we, we had a really good team. You know, just just really good guys and and you know T T Mac was a super a super duper star. You know, so uh, you know. Treating him like a superstar, and at the end of the day, he's one of the guys. But we always gave him a hard time for being T Mac uh, to, to to the world. You know, Yao Yao was hilarious because Yao Yao knew English way better than he ever let on, and everyone thought that he didn't understand English very well. But Yao was actually pretty pretty funny. Um, I remember he had a charity event one time, and uh, he stood up and said, "Guys, I want to invite you." Uh, uh, my charity event, you know, please bring <laughs> your wives or your girlfriends. Please don't bring both. Pretty good. Uh, you know, that ran for Austin was always yapping and, and Scola just trying to figure out what the heck stupid Americans were, were, were talking about. And, uh, you know, it's just really, really good locker room. Coach Adelman was, was an amazing coach. Um, he gave our, our locker room a lot of ownership in the team and, um, you know, I, I always lament that we didn't have more playoff success for the city of Houston. They were they were starved for a winner, and um, they they have much more success now. But it was uh, it was a, it was a, a really good run for me in Houston. Yeah, uh, speaking of good runs, how just how was that twenty two game win streak? You know, how did that come together? How magical <laughs> was that for you guys? Yeah. I mean, Shane, you've had too many win streaks. You had this one. You had the you were part of the big one in Miami, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, 27, 27 in Miami, 22 in Houston. The, the 27 in Miami was a little more explainable. Than the one yeah. in <laughs> um, that was probably the most 
bizarre thing I've ever been a part of in Houston where we just wanted to keep going and playing. And we didn't really talk about the streak. Um, everyone else talked about it for us, but it was amazing because it was like someone else stepped up every single night. You know, one night it was Ray for having 30, you know, then it was Steve Novak hitting the game winning shot. And it was Mike Harris out of the G league coming and giving us 20. And it just like was the most amazing, like team effort. And I remember after losing to the Celtics, we, we were exhausted because it took so much out of us just to, to keep it going. Cause we wanted to keep it going forever, but it was, uh, it was great. The city, the city of Houston was on fire. It, it, no one could explain it. No one cared. But it was just it was a beautiful, a beautiful display of basketball. Shane, was there was there ever ever a time in the midst of that streak where you felt it could end early? And on the flip side, did you think it could go, you know, past twenty two, maybe thirty? You know, it's, it's funny when it, when you have a win streak like that. And I've been part of like ten game winning streaks. You know, once you get to ten, you're like, all right. We got, we got something going here. You know, you don't, you don't think you're ever going to challenge like 20. That's like ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've done that twice. I'm only, only got to do that twice. <laughs> um, but after a while, it, I don't know. It, you just, you, you stop trying to explain it. You stop trying to analyze it. You just know it's good and you want to keep it going. And, you know, once, once people, once we broached 20, people were asking, do you, you, you think you can, can, you know, catch the Lakers, you know, the Jerry West right. Lakers. And we're like, we don't know. We're just trying to win a game tomorrow night. And so <laughs> people thought we had like this, some secret and we totally didn't. We just enjoyed playing for each other, playing hard. And, and we were, we were playing great basketball. I think that's kind of the key to it. That is the secret. It playing for each other and playing together is a, is a big part of it. Shane, I think we're uh, coming up to the end of our time here with you. I don't, I don't want to, uh, monopolize it too much and thank you so much for joining us and uh and kind of reliving some of your fun uh houston moments well they're they're an amazing uh amazing few years both my children were born in houston so always find fond memories of of my time in houston and uh uh you know just a great great sports town thank you thank you again for coming okay bye-bye guys that was great from shane kelly uh obviously Awesome player, two-time defensive player, uh, all-team defense and all that stuff. So, you know, just phenomenal stuff there. But we got to talk a little bit about the news, don't we? Just recently, the NBA has kind of seemed to be more optimistic that they're going to be coming back. There have been a lot more calls with players and things like that. We don't necessarily know what that looks like in terms of bubble cities, where, what, and 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 how this thing's all playing out. But it seems like... The NBA and the players are working together to come to kind of create a plan. There was a call with a bunch of superstars that uh, I believe Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports reported, you know, had Chris Paul on it, had LeBron, Giannis, and Russ. our own Russell Westbrook. Kelly, man, what's your first thoughts on this, man? Kind of iffy. I, I don't. I saw the two to four week uh, time span, you know, for them to come to a decision. That's kind of coming up pretty quickly. Yes, there have been some kind of, you know, progress in terms of the virus spreading and the plateauing of and everything. But on one hand, it's a good sign that the league is trying to come together and make a decision quickly. But on the other hand, I still think it's a bit early for that. You know, I saw MLS, the MLS is trying to have a play-in tournament in Orlando, you know, in about a month. 
And I think that would be a good way to, to gauge, you know, how a professional sports league handles this whole situation. But I don't know. I think it's too early for me to tell. I think the NBA has been very patient as they've been going through all of this, you know, in, in their response and, and, and handling things. So I think it's a matter of it's risk assessment and risk tolerance and how much risk are you willing to to put up? And I think it's very important to note that, like, the NBA is being very upfront with the players of like, look, man, like somebody's going to come down with it. Like we're it's not a, a guarantee that this is a going to be a zero. Like, I think it's unlikely to think that if they do a bubble that there's going to be zero cases in it, you know, and, and, and okay. a lot of sports are beginning to work trying to figure out how to come back and things. I've seen people say cancel the season and just come back in December. I said, we don't know if there's going to be less risk in December. In December, you're right. Y- 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 you know, and, and and we don't know. I mean, I get all of that. And, and there's still a lot of things that still have to come out in terms of this plan and the whole thing. This doesn't mean right. they're coming back for sure. It's just starting the process of it. And I kind of just, the thing I really kind of like about this whole thing, Kelly, is both sides are working together. Like, it's not like uh, Major League Baseball where they have, it seems like the players and owners are really at an impasse here in yeah. terms of money and salaries and things like that. Like this, this seems like both the NBA and the players union is in it together. So I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I don't feel like the NBA is trying to sell the players a, a, a bill of goods and not kind of give them the full risk of like, this is the stuff that can possibly happen and we have to figure this out. So I think that's where I feel kind of a little bit comfortable with it. Whether it happens or not, I have no idea. Um, and 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 to what what it'll look like, but it's going to be pretty interesting, man. For sure, to to credit you know the players' association for for sticking together and being able to work with the league because you know it wouldn't be uncommon for a lot of players to feel unhappy with losing a lot of money and a lot of their livelihood. Credit to them in this tough time for being able to get a, a common ground and work together to find a solution because this is. This is no easy, easy task to, to do. And there's no perfect solution. These are all imperfect solutions. There's nothing where you're going to feel. There's no solution right now that's going to be, yeah. hey, this is risk-free. No you're one fine, has all guys. the answers. No I mean, one has all the answers. The, the only stuff we know is we're not going to get a vaccine for quite a long time. And right now, it, as, as we're recording, there's no medicine cocktail where you feel like, okay, this person's cured automatically and we're ready to roll. Like we still don't know a lot. So I think it's a, it, it's just good. I think they're working together and it's big news. And I felt like we kind of had to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Cause this is the league that we love and this is a huge part of the world that we live in today. So this is, it's good news to see for sure. You got anything else, Kelly, or should we wrap this thing up? Yeah. Uh, I got a Covington project dropping tomorrow. Well, Thursday, his, I talked to him yesterday, just on his defense is how he, him and uh, NFL cornerbacks have more in common than you, than you think. And this is going to be a real fun project. Awesome. I cannot wait for it. Again, Covington is the only player that I gave an A plus to <laughs> in our player grades, guys. If you want to go back and, and listen to some of those old podcasts, I know you got time on your hands. You might as well. <laughs> for Shane Battier. For Kelly Eco, for our producer, Sasha Ashal, for me, Mo DeKeel, we out. <laughs>